This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. And welcome to episode 156. On this episode, I'm going to bring you a conversation with Sherry Lynn Wood. She is the author of The Improv Handbook for Modern Quilters, A Guide to Creating, Quilting, and Living Courageously. This fantastic book is actually just going to be hitting the market this week. Right now, it's being unveiled for the first time at QuiltCon which sadly I am not at QuiltCon. <laughs> I am home in Michigan, but I know there are a lot of folks out there who are at QuiltCon having a great time. And then there are a lot of other people like me who did not go this year and we're kind of keeping it real here back at the old homestead. And this is a little piece of QuiltCon for everyone. And for those of you who are familiar with Sherry, you know that she has been doing improv quilting for quite some time now. Uh, her blog, daintytime.net, you can uh, find a lot of information about her and her work there. And I'll just kind of give you a little bit of an introduction here. According to her bio on her blog, she was 11 when she bought her first sewing machine, and she did so with a year's worth of allowance. I think that's fantastic. And by the time she was a teenager, she was creating her own fashions and wearing them to school. And her fashion sense got her into a little bit of trouble with a school principal when she was um, young and led to a whole scenario that I'll refer you to daintytime.net. Click on the bio link and you can hear that whole story. Sherry established herself as a pretty feisty sewer from the get-go. <laughs> and as she says, she's been sewing with attitude ever since. So she went on to begin making quilts in 1989, and she started selling them at the local farmer's market in uh, North Carolina. And then she saw an improv show, and it changed her life. And we'll talk a little bit about about that on this episode. So this is a, a case where, you know, she was sewing along since childhood, but it took a particular event to really help her really find her her specialty in quilting. So I think you're going to find this very interesting. And what, it was really funny because before I interviewed Sherry, as I was prepping for the interview, I got an electronic copy of her book so I could try to read through quickly before our talk. And of course, you know, there's, it's one of those, this is a book that is very beautiful and it's something that you're going to want to sit and kind of absorb. Um, so I was kind of going through quickly and I thought, I looked at the clock, I'm like, well, I have 35 minutes before our interview. I just want to jump right in and start, you know, kind of sample this book a little bit. And so I, Grabbed some hand-dyed fabric I had sitting by my sewing machine, and I just started cutting and sewing and cutting and sewing. And in 35 minutes, I had a little bit of an improv quilt started, and I was like, wow, this is so fun. And I had to set an alarm because I was afraid I was going to just keep sewing <laughs> and, and completely be late for the interview. So I was kind of working myself up to making a quilt and I knew like that week I was going to be making some kind of quilt. So I was not planning on doing an improv quilt. And this book kind of fell into my lap at the right time because it turned out to be a true craft sanity experience. And I will explain the whole backstory and tell you about my quilt on the next episode of craft sanity. This one is going to be about focused on Sherry and her book. But I can tell you folks, um, just as someone who tried this out, you're going to want to pick up this book because it was super fun and very inspiring. And I've only spent a little bit of time, but it, it gave me great inspiration at a time when I really needed to have a kind of an escape into the quilt world. And um, for that, I am truly grateful and high five to Sherry. 
for uh, creating a cool book. All right. So this is for all you folks traveling home from QuiltCon. And those of you who are at home, grab a cup of tea, cup of coffee, whatever you prefer, and settle in with a project. And let's uh, hear the story behind this new and fantastic improv book. Sherry, I just want to congratulate you, first of all, on this beautiful new book that you have that's coming out, The Improv Handbook for Modern Quilters, A Guide to Creating, Quilting, and Living Courageously. I just love the title, too. <laughs> I mean, it's, no, good. Yeah. Thank you. You know, whenever you do a book deal, you never have uh, complete control over the title, but they love the title, too, so it's always had that title. Oh, okay. So that's what you hope for. That's excellent. Yeah. That's really good. So yeah. you got through with the title intact. That's wonderful. So when is this book actually going to be put out into the world? Official re- release date is March 17th. We are going to be debuting it in Austin at QuiltCon. So people will be able to pick up copies of the book, those people that are at QuiltCon. Um, they'll be selling them at the Stitch Lab booth, number 216. And I will be there signing books every day, mostly during lunchtime on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 12.15 to 1.15, and I think on Thursday from 3.15 to 4.15. Are you going to be teaching as well at QuiltCon? Yes. I am. Well, I'm going to be doing a lecture. I will be talking about uh, basically the concepts of the book of flexible patterning and um, improvisational process and patchwork. And then I'm going to be teaching three six-hour classes on on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they're all improv classes, and they're all classes that are modeled after one of the chapters in the book. So they're they're all three new classes that I haven't even ever taught before. Oh, (laughs) fantastic. It's going to be pretty exciting, yeah. And a little bit tiring yeah. for you, probably. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I'll be though. rubbing on adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure yeah. that will carry you through. And I mean, just I tried out um, before I called you to record this interview. I actually was going through, and I just started with the floating squares prompt, which was kind of one of the the first ones. In your, I think it's the first one in your book. And yeah. I had some hand dyed fabric. What I really enjoyed about this improv process is just to just having that freedom like you're basically coaching your reader and saying just jump in put your ruler away and just cut some fabric and start going and I loved that empowerment that you're kind of just really uh driving home in the book just to get going and there are no rules just you know do it and in about 35 minutes I probably ended up with a you know, I, I made like four little blocks and I was working kind of small, but I probably have, I don't know, it's probably, it's roughly about an eight inch square of these pieces I connected together. And it would not have occurred to me to do this without, you know, yeah. launching in. And I, so what got you started doing this improv method and teaching others how to, how to do this kind of quilting? I'd like to respond to just your experience really quickly and just say that, you know, it's, it's very exciting to hear, uh, you know, your response about that experience of just making a little commitment, you know, just making a few cuts and starting and not knowing where you're going and not having to see the big picture ahead of time. Um, that's just really the whole uh, key to the book. Three, I, I think the thing that, got me first started in improvisation was seeing the exhibition of African-American quilts um, that Eli Leon uh, produced called Who'd Have Thought It? And I I think that was the first time those types of quilts uh, were ever shown in an exhibition space. You know, later in 2002, we had the G. Spen quilt. Mm-hmm. And, and in between, and, and his exhibition was in 19... 19- 90, I think. And at that time, that was completely, you know, new. Nobody had seen that at all. And um, it's uh, crazy that those beautiful quilts and that heritage had gone undocumented for so long. Anyways, I was just blown away. And much like the experience that many quilters and many new quilters must have had when they first saw the G-Spen quilt. And I was just like, that's for me. That's what I want to do. And I'd always been sewing and I had been making, I just started quilting and doing some, you know, checkerboard quilts and some log cabin quilts, just some simple things. And I was trying to sell them at the farmer's market and, 
you know, I've always had a good sense of color and design, and um, I've had the sewing skills, but that just tipped me over the edge seeing that show. And so I was committed to that immediately. I did read the introduction of your book where you talked about how, you know, this exhibit, as you said, it, it opened 25 years ago. What were you doing at that time? Were you living in California and happened to be on a, on a trip? Because this was at UNC Chapel Hill where the exhibit was. No, I grew up in North Carolina. Oh, okay. So I've only okay. lived in Oakland for the last seven years. So okay. I was living in North Carolina. I actually was a divinity school dropout, so I had dropped out of grad school and was kind of just not clear about where I was going next. And in a way, my life had to be improvisational. I had a, a major illness that had, you know, had undercut my plans, my plans for my life. You know, really like quilt making, making a quilt is like making a whole life, mm-hmm. you know. You're telling a whole story in this quilt. It's got a whole life of its own. And it evolves like a life evolves. You know, that's what I love about improvisation. It is so lifelike. It's what we experience every day. We can't see the future. We don't know. I mean, when you reach a certain age, you start to realize it. But when you're younger, you kind of think, I'm going to plan my life out, and this is what it's going to look like. And and often you get some pretty close approximation to that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get a very close approximation, but you're completely unhappy with the life that you've planned out and created. You know, there's all... So many different variables and so many different experiences and ways a life can unfold. And um, that's the same with with doing an improv quilt. There's just so many possibilities and there's really no way for us to predict the future to see the whole. And so at that time, I had had an illness. I had dropped out of graduate school and had decided that I was not called to be a minister or that I wanted to go into that line of work. And that left me kind of devastated because I really didn't have, you know, I was so focused on that through college and Mm -hmm. through my younger years that, you know, that was part of my identity. So I was like really unclear. I was just in brand new territory and, you know, I had some office administration job at the time um, and I just wanted to make quilts for extra money on the side doing simple checkerboard quilts and things and started selling them at the local farmer's market in Carver, North Carolina. And that's when I saw that exhibit. And things just began to unfold from there in terms of my interest in quilting and, and, and then eventually that leading into being an artist. Had you made any quilts before you saw that exhibit? I, yes, I was making more traditional type quilts. I, I was making checkerboards and and uh, log cabins and doing some, you know, occasionally I would get a little commission and I would try, you know, I did a storm at sea. I did a lot of precision patchwork okay. um, at the, at, before I saw that show. And the funny thing was is that um, I saw that show and I I wanted to do improv. Um, I, you know, I, I went home and I tried to, like, create something like that or, or, or just try to do it in... Yeah, I was still really stuck to my ruler, you know, I was just trying to, and I I couldn't figure it out. And then I took a workshop the following summer with Nancy Crow, and it was the very first time she ever offered an improv workshop. She had done lots of different types of design workshops, but she had just started doing improvisation with, um, and being exposed to, I think, the quilt maker, Anna Williams, and she had developed, um, you know, a whole new line of work and a whole new uh, line of workshops around improvisation, and I was lucky enough to be in one of those very first workshops. It was at Aramont School of um, Craft in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and the very first thing she said in class was just like the price of the entire admission was just like you don't have to cut and sew as a ruler to make things fit together. And I was like, oh my god, that's just so brilliant! Like I had no idea, <laughs> and it's so funny that that's such a simple. Thing, well, but I was so blinded by that reality, um, that that paradigm of using a ruler to measure everything, and it really did get it. It did even my best attempts kept me from really feeling that freedom of improvisation. But when she said that, I was like, "Oh, wow, that's she's right." You know, that's possible. So, what did that do for you, uh, given that you were searching kind of for an? like another direction to go and you start doing this, uh, you take that first workshop. What did that do to your quilting after that workshop with Nancy? Well, it just completely opened up 
my opened up the possibilities. I mean, I just started creating things I'd never even imagined before. And then I took them to the farmer's market and I started selling them like right away. <laughs> and it was very exciting to sell something like that that was, you know, authentically me that was so, you know, part of, you know, wasn't anybody else's pattern. It was my pattern and somebody actually wanted to pay me money for it, you know. It was so that was also exciting and that um uh, that support that I got uh, through selling at the farmer's market, that external support really also helped me um, continue to explore more deeply with the work and supported me financially, too, to do that. I just kind of just blew everything open, and I just went went from there with, with the things. You know, my work has taken some different directions. Um, back then, I improvised a lot, but I also moved into all kinds of materials, and I was doing a lot of surface design. I was dyeing fabric and dyeing batting, cotton batting, and using that on the outside of the quilt with overlays of organzas and doing photo transfers, and, you know, so I got really into all of the surface design and beading mm-hmm. and embellishment and all of that, and I took that into a pretty... You know, uh, uh, you know, I explored that direction for quite a while, and then I kind of just decided to move away from that, and, um, you know, I, I went into some other directions, and so, you know, I've had a lot of different places that my work has gone, and like I said, it's, it's again, it's like this quilt, right? You, you go in these different avenues, and you, uh, when you're exploring on a quilt and you're improvising, you'll improvise towards a certain direction, and at some point you might just drop that direction and, and start in some other place. And it's not like that's a waste. It's kind of like you had to explore to that point mm-hmm. before you could make this leap to something completely um, different um, in a way, in a certain way, but they're definitely connected. And what I wanted to say about the structure of the book is that it's really designed really what you're saying I'm so glad you started with the very first score because it's really designed for somebody who's never improvised before to be able to start at that beginning and the the, the techniques kind of build and there's some very very complex techniques towards the later chapters or, or um, to difficult and I shouldn't say complex but they're difficult they're challenging sewing techniques and the, and the, actually the improvisational process itself becomes more challenging as it, as the score chapters go along. So each each chapter kind of introduces a new set of techniques and a new set of um, uh, a new method or gateway for improvisation and um, and challenges our ability. Like serving, sewing curved pieces is not only more difficult technically, but it's more difficult to see the big picture with curved pieces mm-hmm. as opposed to using blocks or squared sections. Right. And so you you progressively get more and more into the improv process. So the book is also designed for people that have more experience so they can just jump in wherever they want and um, with the chapters. So um, uh, that is great to hear your experience about just starting there. And that very first chapter is really the very basic aspect, you know, it's you setting limits. That's the very first thing you do. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, anything goes with improv. And it kind of does. But really, you are working with limits. And, and anything goes within the limits that you set for yourself. Right. Well, it seems like without um, some kind of parameter, that could be a problem for people, too. Because sometimes when you have, you know, complete, you, I can do anything. And then people stand in front of their, their fabric stash paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> When you're selecting color, how do you decide on a palette for your improv quilt? Before you get started, how do you make that color selection? That's a great question. So I believe in, um, you know, experiential knowledge of color. And also, you know, we can learn about color. You know, for some of us, it's great to, you know, learn about color in a formal way and understand how it works. And, and I'm all for that, too, is having that information and understanding. And then some of us have more intuitive sense of color. You know, I got my sense of color, I think, from my mom. She never sewed a thing. I mean, my mom was not a sewer, and she was not, like, a homemaker. But she was in, totally into, like, interior decorating. Mm-hmm. Like, she loved to, you know, she had the craziest 
intense colors all through the house and, you know, textures and things like that. So she, you know, so I think I got my sense of color from her, my bold sense of color from her. But I also believe that we, we carry our own kind of intuitive uh, palette. The thing that's so exciting about improv when you get deeper into it is it's your chance to discover something about yourself. And we have our own intuitive palettes that come from, you know, our childhood, um, our environment. Like right now, I'm very, I live in urban East Oakland, and I'm, I'm completely surrounded by either concrete, gray, urban, industrial elements like the BART train and the corrugated uh, fences and things like that, and then bright, colorful graffiti. And so that really affects my color, my intuitive sense of color right now, my surroundings. But anyways, we all have this intuitive color palette. And so part of choosing colors, besides, you know, um, the, the knowledge we gain from, like, matching colors up through fabric lines or reading about color in design books, um, part of it is taking all that information then, um, putting it, you know, holding it in one hand and then just being still and quiet within yourself and allowing your own kind of intuitive choices to come forward. And uh, I, one of the things I do in my workshops is typically, um, you know, I introduce the class, I do demos, whatever. I talk about the practice so everybody understands what we're going to be doing. And then I have everybody sit back in their place and we just do a little centering exercise and it just takes about five minutes to get everybody, you know, kind of centered in themselves. And then I ask them to, um, and, and I tell them beforehand that when we come out of the centering exercise, we're going to work for 20 or 30 minutes without speaking. You know, you can ask a question of me or something, but I don't want anybody chattering or talking. We just have 30 minutes of quiet working and um, but then when they also I have to have them have all of their fabric on their table on their work table in front of them so that as they come out of the centering that um, meditation they will the first thing they'll see are their colors and their fabrics Interesting. and that's you know and then to make their choices now do they have their eyes closed for this process are they cl- meditating with their eyes closed or can they still see they can either do it with their eyes closed or unfocused okay. you know Okay. The idea of just, you know, kind of looking kind just of in an unfocused off. way. Okay. Yeah. And um, because the idea is to go in center, not to be thinking outwardly, but to be, be, you know, bringing your attention inward. Right. Being centered, experiencing whatever you're experiencing. And it could be emotions. It could be memories. There could, you know, be anxiety. You know, there's, you know, I try to undo some anxiety before we get to the centering part um, in terms of, you know, the process and stuff. But you know, because I tell them, I don't want you to be in the centering. I don't want you to be centering and, and being thinking in the centering thing, what co- kind of fabrics I'm going to pick or what I'm going to do and planning ahead, because that's what we like to do. We always want to be in control and plan ahead. So I'm trying to get them just, you know, just get in the present moment and then just go from there. And that's what they do. And they get centered and then they just move from there and they start picking their fabrics and then they start sewing because they've gotten all the techniques and they know what they're going to be doing. And you know, most people, sometimes people are a little res- resistant about having to, to be led in a little centering exercise, mm-hmm. uh, but most people don't mind it. Occasionally, you get some people that you can tell are a little resistant, but most people don't mind it. And then and so many people tell me later in the class, I loved working in silence like that just for a little bit even because I was able to so get so focused and I chose fabrics that surprised me. I would have never, I don't ever usually pick these fabrics. And, you know, I, you know, I had this memory and, and it made me think of my dad and then I picked this or I had this or this happen, you know, or, you know, sometimes they don't even know why, but they just have picked you know, these, these fabrics to go together that were surprising choices for them. I've talked about all of that in the book, and I think that's a very important, uh, working with color on an intuitive level is also a very, very important part of improvisation and, and finding your voice because your your color expression is is really a big part of that story. If you're using prints for improv, 
what kind of scale considerations do you recommend for for quilters? Because sometimes people are they get overwhelmed because maybe in front of them they just have a bunch of pattern fabric and you know they, that might be you know. I guess what are your thoughts on that on pattern? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question. And I think um, um, well, I will say this: I I tend to work more with solids. Um, Melanie Solid, my wonderful editor. Um, recommended she says i would i would really like to see you work with some prints because you know i know well, my parents work with prints and i was like oh my gosh that's going to be really challenging for me <laughs> so i understand i understand you know that that difficulty is hard and working with prints is a very different experience than working with um solids and and i talk about that some of the book too that being said, I'm looking at a quilt right now in my space that I made for the book, and the whole quilt is solid. It's the doodle quilt, and there's just one triangle of print in the whole piece. There's <laughs> one patchwork that has a print in it. So that's where I start, you know. But now, after moving through this, making the quilts for books, the, the stuff that I'm doing in my studio right now, post the quilt books, and really opening up to working with prints, and it's getting very exciting for me again to work with prints. And so that is great. And what I'm discovering is, I mean, first of all, just like anything with improv, it's a discovery process. Mm-hmm. And so if people get paralyzed about what choices to make, the best thing to do is, again, to set some limits and say, and, 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 and make an experiment out of it. You know, I am going to work with itty teeny bitty prints and I'm going to mix them with big giant scale prints and see what happens. And then once you see what happens when you work with those two different scales of prints, you can be like, uh, you can evaluate it. I like that. I didn't like that. What happened? What surprised me? What did I discover? What did I learn? What satisfied me about it? What was dissatisfying me about it? And taking all that information, instead of judging it as good or bad, which mm-hmm. isn't really very helpful, to just say, what is the most interesting thing about this and what do I want to pursue more with? Well, what if I took, what if I didn't use itty bitty teeny prints, but kind of medium and large scale prints and then I, or maybe I need more solid in there or, you know, and you, then you do another experiment. So that's how you learn. That's how you learn your own unique way of using prints and and um, how they work together. Now, I think what I'm discovering right now is I am really enjoying using very large prints, large-scale prints, and patching and, and having them being patched in very tricky situations and angles. I'm doing a piece. I did a little section with triangles and diamonds, and I used this big background fabric, printed background fabric, and it's cut up and it's all, and it's kind of directional and it's mm-hmm. cut up and going in all, you know, it's like a, it's almost, it's not really a plaid, but it's, it's, it's kind of a grid-like pattern. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so now those things are all going at different angles. And I was so excited. Those patterns kind of, that the pad, I only used one print fabric, but the way it, it intersected with itself at all these angles was so interesting to me. So I went immediately went out to the fabric store and I bought all these large print fabrics and my next quilt, I'm just going to explore that aspect. When I ask people to bring fabrics for workshop, I encourage them not to think too too much in a matchy way, like I'm I'm creating a, a, a palette of blues and purples or I'm creating, you know, and, and that even if they do match things up a little bit to throw in some wild cards, to throw in some things they would never choose to put together with blue and purple um, or choose to put, you know, and also I encourage people not to be too focused like if all they have are batiks, they should throw some solids in or some non batik prints. And that um, your eye always wants some variation. So mm-hmm. too much consistency in the same scale of print or the same kind of print can be less effective. So it's good to have a range. Just like it's good to have a range of color, it's good to have a range of, of different scales of prints and things to choose from. That's not saying that you will use every, that you'll use the entire spectrum. Um, but you'll you'll be able to have uh, the the thing to play with and make those decisions in the moment. If people really want to get into improv, 
and they have an idea in mind. They want to make a quilt and they want to maybe use two to three colors and that's it. Do you have any guidelines of if they're buying fabric that they want to make sure they have enough of a certain color without overloading their stash? Because I know that's one thing I'm trying to get better at is just buying enough for the project so I don't have enough mm-hmm. to, you know, make curtains for my house as well <laughs> when I'm done. You know, uh, so what what guidance do you have as far as just, you know, building your improv stash? That's a good, um, a really good question. Each person has to look at their budget. Right. Um and and then you have to consider, uh, you know, their budget and their investment. You have to consider uh, how much you like a particular fabric. Um, you also might consider what you have and what you don't have, because uh, what we tend to what what we tend to do is we get attracted to like certain colors, mm-hmm. or we get attracted to certain types of print, and we're all we have a way we have tons of blue and we hardly have any yellow or something <laughs> right. like that you know right so if you if you really love blue and you have lots of blue then you and you see another beautiful blue piece of fabric you might want to pass that up for an ugly yellow fabric that you don't have <laughs> any of you know right. and um and so so you really want to make that continue you want to have a balance i mean you i like to think of my fabric really like that's my paint on my palette so i want to have if I'm going to have a collection of fabric uh, to choose from, I want to have, I'm not, I'm not isolating. I'm not saying this fabric is just for this project. I'm create. I'm buying all this fabric right here because it goes together and someday I'll do a project with that. And then someday I'll do a project with this fabric. I put it all together. It's all equal and it's all available to be used um, at will in any project, you know, at any time. And so I'm thinking of it more as a collection of resources. Mm-hmm. And um, so you want to evaluate what your resources are, what you already have, and, and fill in gaps. Um, that's one one way to do it. Um, I personally like to buy, like, one-yard cuts. Um, and if it's something I really love and it's on sale or something, maybe I'll get two yards or... If, you know, I think it might use it for a backing, then I I'll, 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 might buy it for that. I mean, a lot of times I don't buy backings until I get the quilt top done. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, sometimes, yeah, if, if I just see tons and tons of things I like, then maybe I'll just get, you know, half yard cuts or quarter yards or fat quarters or, you know, to get a little bit of all of it, you know. And so the thing is with improv, though, you make do with whatever you do have. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it. So there's no right or wrong amount. You're not, if you run out of a fabric that you love, that's, you've got to look at that as a, a positive. It's, it's fantastic. If you have this wonderful quilt, you're making it, it's going along great. And then you run out of fabric just as you get to like the last two sections. That's like the best thing that could happen to you. You have to problem solve mm-hmm. and you are forced to improvise. And to come up with some some super creative solution to make that quilt outstanding uh, without because you can't go out and buy any more of that fabric. It's it's out of print. It's not available. Um, it and you know so then you make a substitution and that's that's great. I mean it it because it's natural. It's part of a flow. It's not contrived. Mm-hmm. You're lucky if you run out of fabric. You're you're a lucky person <laughs> if you run out of your favorite fabric right in the middle of a quilt. You were you were about bonus. to change the thinking of quilters all around the world. <laughs> and that also means you didn't buy too much fabric, which can be a you know kind of turn into a hoarding situation, you know, which can be a, a stressful situation as well. So you know you've solved you know you've used up the beautiful fabric and now you have a chance to design a solution. So I yeah. love the way you roll. I think this is fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. So it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. Um, I and I want to say one other thing about buying fabric. I also encourage people to buy really awful fabric, something that they despise. Really? Something now, they would never use. How often do you use. do that? How often do you buy fabrics you despise? Um, I do buy fabric I despise, um, but sometimes that I end up liking it. You know, I mean, I like, <laughs> I like it because I despise it. But um, 
But I, I mean, invariably, well, and I also tell people, you know, bring, you know, I always tell people to either make their choices based on something that gives them a lot of pleasure or something that uh, really repels them or feels dangerous or scary. And um, I took the improv theater uh, workshop to kind of do research for this book. And one of the things, you know, the teacher said was, you know, you want to choose the scariest, you want to make the scariest or the most dangerous or the riskiest choice, because that's, you know, when you're on stage in the moment, you want to choose the riskiest thing, the, you want to take the biggest risk of, of failure, and that's when the best scene will unfold, that's when good scenes unfold, when you're in territory that is is really... Uh, feels dangerous and unknown to you. And um, so that's kind of like picking that ugly fabric and, and just putting it in there. And um, I I know it's really hard for people. I, people resist like crazy when I tell them, you know, when I, well, not tell them. Sometimes I can be really bossy but in my classes, <laughs> but hopefully not. But when I encourage them to, you know, use it, I'm like, go ahead, do this, put this fabric in there. Or pick a fabric you wouldn't pick, you know, do do something that it would be, what is the word, and I'll say, what is the most nauseating, absolute last choice you would make to put in with this mix? And I, I ask them that at the point where they're stuck, where they don't know where to go next. And, um, and you know, some people are resistant, some people won't do it, but a lot of people will. And invariably, not only them, but everybody in the workshop is like, I love that color, and that just that it just blows me away. That just really makes the quilt, and it's that one fabric that <laughs> that they hate, right? That they didn't want to use, and they usually come around too and like, yeah, I didn't think I'd like that, but I really love it now. And that's because we we always like to go with the safe and comfortable, mm-hmm. and that often is it, it ends up being too familiar, too mediocre, um, too like you know I've seen this before. It's not exciting. And um, and I think I think that's where we want to find our edge. You know, we want to take those risks and find our edge. So I so I'd say pick fabrics that either really give you a lot of pleasure, fill in the gaps of your um, your resources. You know, some fabrics that you don't already have, I and mean, that's probably because you don't like that color or you don't like those kind of prints or whatever. That's why you don't have very much of it. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes that that also meets the requirement of of picking that ugly fabric. But sometimes just going in and actually really picking an ugly fabric. A lot of people have really ugly fabrics already in their stash that they thought were really beautiful when they bought them. So, you know, you might not have to buy another ugly fabric. You just have to choose that ugly fabric that you already have. Right, you just have to force yourself to use it. What do you tell your students about when they're doing improv, if they have this print they really like, but it might not hold up for 300 years in a museum. Um, (laughs) Do you even care about that or or do you say throw it in or do you say only use things that are high quality? Oh, well, I tend not to care about that, but I would encourage people to consider what their their use is. And, And I would say to people, I mean, I also encourage people to use, you know, clothing and things like that. And, um, you don't have to use new fabrics. You know, you can also uh, get fabrics from from old clothes and other things that you have, family linens, uh, sheets. You know, a lot of people like to use mm-hmm. use vintage sheets and things. Uh, you do want to you do want to make sure you don't have fabric that's already decayed or right. or or so fragile that it's going to break in your quilt, like in your lifetime. <laughs> right. You want it to be able and, to um, hold they, up. Right. So you have to think about that. And if, you know, if you're making a baby quilt for some, somebody and it's, you know, it's going to get used like crazy, you definitely want to have sturdy fabrics in it, uh, so that it'll last as long as possible in the clutches of that, you know, it's a favorite quilt in the clutches of that child, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because they're going to want it to last as long as possible if it, if it becomes a beloved object. And, um, so, um, I, but on the other hand, you have, you know, you just have the enjoyment of that creative, uh, impulse. And so, you know, I have to admit, I have some cheaper solids in some of my 
quilts because I can't find it in it. I can't find that color in the higher quality uh, fabrics. So I'm like, I'm not thinking about the quality. I'm thinking about the color. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't find that color anywhere else. I love this color. Yeah, it's a little thin. It's not as high a quality cotton as these other fabrics I have, but man, I love this color so much. I want it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you got to kind of balance that, that out. Um, and I think that's just a personal decision that people make. And, right. you know, it, it's totally okay for people to say, you know what, I want my quilts to last as long as possible for 300 years or 500 years. <laughs> right. if it can, you know, and I, so I'm only going to use the highest quality of fabrics. And that's a limit that I'm setting on myself. So if I can't find, you know, if I see a beautiful green, but it's in a cheap fabric, I'm just going to, and I can't find that color anywhere else, I'm just going to forego using that color. That's just part of the limitation that I'm going to set for myself because that's the standard that I want to have for my work. And so I think that's just a personal decision for everybody. Um, uh, personally, I I'll use it all as long as it's just not going to disintegrate in my lifetime. Right, right. And, and I think <laughs> and, for and most I, of us, we can find things yeah. in our stash that will last as long as we will and longer. So that's that's well, I right. think that, that's another empowering thing, though, that you're you're saying. You know, people get to make these decisions for themselves and their quilt. So all this right. is you know personal choice and very exciting. And I'd like to shift back to just talking about the format you know, of your book and I, and your decision to kind of frame it with kind of a, you kind of borrowed from uh, music a little bit to, um, you know, kind of when you talk about the score for each quilt uh, kind of improv uh, workshop that you're kind of putting your readers, guiding your readers through. Can you t talk a little bit about your, your decision to frame this book in that way? Yes. Um, I, um, I mean, I, I, I think people understand the musical score because people, most people are very familiar with music. Mm -hmm. um, the score also, though, um, it can be, be interpreted in a much broader, you know, I, and I have a background in contemporary art and I have an MSA. I, I got my MSA in sculpture from Bard College. The score can also be seen, like Yoko Ono did a bunch of scores for the imagination. So it's like a set of directions in a way, uh, but the set of directions can be really tight and precise, or they can be broader, and I use the example of like a jazz lead sheet as a score, um, can be much broader, so, you know, you, you kind of have, you know, these parameters of limits of the melody or of the song, but within those, you can kind of go on your own and do your own thing in between that, and you might have to come back to some note or some, some, um, rhythm mm -hmm. but then there's this this area where you can you know kind of kind of explore basically the idea of the score is just creating a set of parameters for flexible patterning and i didn't want to use the word pattern because you know when we think of pattern what do we think of we think of you know very precise Rep you know repeating. kind of thing this shape mm -hmm. yep and, and repeating it exactly the same way and i think that's a major difference between traditional uh, precision quilt making the point of um, the point of teaching a pattern is to uh, teach how to repeat it exactly and perfectly each time so when we learn a pattern we're learning how to replicate it and duplicate it exactly and that's the goal of of, of passing the knowledge along of passing the pattern along uh, with improvisation um, that is not the goal of teaching of pattern. When um, and this comes from the African American tradition, um, uh, the the goal of passing along the pattern is to teach the variations in the pattern, all the ways it can be done differently. What are the ranges of this pattern? And that's what I'm trying to do is uh, with, through the score give people all of the, the ranges, and not even define the range, just saying, you know, this is the way you can explore the range of pattern, you know, encouraging people to find their own range for that pattern. Like, what can you do with a triangle? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, how many different things can you do with a triangle? Where can you take the triangle as a pattern? 
and, um, and, and the way you put the triangles together. And so it's called, it's flexible patterning and the score allows it to do that and it creates a set of limits that can be expanded and can be dropped and let, and, and discarded at a certain point even. It's, it's, uh, I'm always encouraging people throughout the book that, you know, here's some parameters. Work within these parameters with the score, but you're also free to change the score, to change the parameters at any time or any, any part of time. So that gives people the flexibility. Some people need, you can tighten the parameters. You can widen the parameters. You can change the pattern, the parameters to something completely different. It is really more of an organic process, but using the score allows people to think about it consciously, to just say a framework to get people to, to think about it consciously at first um, if they're unfamiliar with, you know, the, the process of improvisation. So using the score gives them an ability to kind of even write out the framework if they want. Um, and that's what I've tried to do is when I actually make a quilt in my studio, I'm not like writing out a score for myself. Like this is what my parameters or limits are, but I might be thinking about it in an organic way in my mm-hmm. head. And then as the, as the quilt evolves, I, I go, you know, my parameters are complete are changing with each step even. Um, but, you know, I can set myself limits. Also, I can say, you know, I'm going to keep to my limits that I set out initially and I'm not going to change them. And so people need different parameters and different limits. Some people, if their limits are too large, like you said, they get overwhelmed. If they're too restricted, they feel shut down. Their creativity feels shut down. So people have to find their own uh, their own parameters to work within. So the scores are just a starting point. And I'm trying to give kind of a balanced set of limits to start with. And then for those of people that need them a little tighter, you know, there's suggestions on ways to make it tighter. For those that want to break, make it broader, there's often suggestions on how to broaden it or and, and always the suggestion to just, you know, take it wherever you want to take it, you know. <laughs> and, um and so, you know, that's, that's the idea of the score is, is uh, to introduce flexible patterning and to communicate and teach flexibility of teaching a pattern and the ways it can be uh, very changed and, and be flexible rather than teaching a pattern in order to duplicate it exactly each time. And I thought the musical score was a great concept that a lot of people could relate to even if they're not musicians they they kind of have a sense that you know there's kind of classical music it's kind of performed similarly each time but even within classical music depending on the musician who's performing the piece Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of variation in in tone and feeling and um and that, I think, is just really a great example for classical, traditional, precision patchwork. I mean, those are kind of our classical music, our classical scores, like the Wedding Ring Quilt or the Irish Chain or Hole in the Barn Door. You know, those patterns are kind of classic patterns. When people perform them as a quilt, uh, make the patchwork, uh, they will still make a lot of variations. You know, uh, the hole in the barn door can look very different according to how you set your values and what fabrics and colors that you, you pick for the pattern and whether you put borders on it or not. And But it's still very recognizable as hole in the barn door or log cabin or whatever. And then, so in a way, the traditional pattern is mm-hmm. a score as well is what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the, the traditional block pattern is a score. And I actually have a score based on the traditional block pattern of like, let's take this block pattern and make variations of it. Instead of repeating it the same way each time, what if we start to make variations of it? And what ways can we vary it, make variations on a traditional block pattern? What are the different ways? Can we simplify it? Can we make it more complex? Can we blow up the scale, can we, you know, and I give a brainstorm list of, of different ways to vary the pattern. And um, so you can really take any classical uh, quilt block and improvise off of it. And, and that's, uh, that's the idea of the score, yeah. And that's where you have really unlimited possibilities, you know, where you just uh, give people the license to kind of take what they know and bring, bring kind of tip it sideways a little bit and keep on quilting. Yes. 
and explore, explore it in the directions that they want to explore it in. You know, we each explore differently and, and that gives them the freedom to explore it, not in the way that I would explore it, but explore it in the way they want to explore it. I really love the sense of empowerment and um, creativity and I, hopefully a sense of satisfaction that people will get when they stick with the project long enough to finish it and take a step back and say, wow, that is not maybe something right. I ever would have done any other way. And for you, Sherry, to be kind of the, you know, you're kind of the conductor of this experiment. And that must feel pretty cool to be able to um, encourage people to, to do these things with their quilting. Yeah, I'm so excited about the test quilters quilts. Um, and we're going to have online gap, the online gap, we can only include 22 of them in the book, because of course, you know, you don't have the, but there's, I don't know, like 165 or something. And there were like almost 250 people that signed up to test quilt. And I think 165 were submitted. And, um, you know, that people actually were able to complete because, you know, people have time constraints and other things come up. But anyway, they are just really amazing. And it's so exciting for me to see what they did and how different they are from my quilt but how there's like some common threads between them. And yeah, I feel, I feel so uh, happy to see that and also excited to see, you know, where people will take all of this on their own. And, and, you know, part of the book also teaches people how to make their own scores and how to, you know, think about their own quilting in that way. And, um, you know, I would love to see, people releasing scores, right, rather than patterns. Yeah, I was just going to say, this could change the landscape. <laughs> and then the other the other thing is, um, you know, what you were saying is things like, you know, just making a commitment one step at a time. Um, that's a big part of of uh, the lessons of the book, you know, as, as, you know, we just make these commitments in our lives uh, one step at a time, and we don't always know what the final outcome is going to be. And the other thing I think about, too, is I was thinking more about quilts and storytelling and um, because quilts have such a big uh, role in telling our stories, I think. And I was thinking, well, how does an improvisational quilt tell a story as abstract quilt, right? I mean, like when people made log cabin quilts and flying geese quilts, you know, they were telling kind of the story of their environments and, and the patterns they saw around them and stuff. And I think in some ways improvisational uh, quilts are are like they tell our intuitive stories they tell our their our intuitive rea- intuitive stories of relationships mm-hmm. it tells our stories about how we make relationships how we create relationships um, you know the way we create these patterns uh, tell us something about how we we make relationships in our lives. So it is telling a very these quilts tell very personal stories about us in in an abstract way, in an intuitive way. But we can see the way people we can we can see and I, I can see in my own quilt quilts you know the way I make relationships not only in my quilts but in my life. And everyone can begin, you know, everyone does that differently. So when you see an improvisational quilt, you're, you're seeing that story. And that's a very uh, personal and intimate story to tell. And it's, it's a beautiful story to share with people. And it's a beautiful story to, to read or to see, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm really excited that people are getting more involved in improvisation in, in the quilting movement. There's a lot of interest in it. The, the quilt con is going to have the G-Spin quilters are, are the main feature of, of the conference. And they have a lot of other great improvisational teachers there. So there's a, there's a lot of focus on that at this quilt con. So it's very exciting and and I'm really happy to to be a part of that. You've definitely given the quilt world a lot to think about and a lot to be inspired by. So I think it's absolutely wonderful, your contributions, and I can't wait to see what you do next. Are, are you going to take a little breather, or <laughs> do you already have book two underway? I have discussed with my agent about a second book, and we're going to work on uh, putting a proposal together in the fall. But right now I'm concentrating on this book and doing more and doing new work. So I'm really excited about 
quilts that I'm making right now. And, um, and I'm really fired up. I mean, I learned a lot from writing my own book <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, I got to do this now and this now and this now. And things <laughs> that really didn't fit into the book, you know, weren't, weren't appropriate for the book because they were just something else that I wanted to explore. So I'm very excited about that. I, I've, I'm, I'm also looking at applying to some artist residencies, which I haven't done in a while. Um, and so it's time for me, I think, to just take a sabbatical and just, uh, just really focused just on my work. So I'm hoping to arrange for uh, some kind of a retreat like that at some point. You know, not writing a book, not just not teaching. Quilts. Yeah, just making um, in a in a, a creative environment community. And um, so that's what my immediate plans. But right now I'm really excited about getting out there, uh, teaching, sharing uh, the book with people, and um, and just encouraging people to to enjoy uh, the tremendous possibilities of <laughs> improv patchwork. Because I love it. I mean, I'm just a geek about it, so I can't help that. But well, anyway. it's a lot of fun. No, I, I think it's great fun. And I think this was really, it's a very successful book. And like I said, I, I just, um, I see a lot of books that come out. I, you know, I've been writing about art and craft for um, very consistently for the last six years and podcasting for longer than that. And so I see a lot and it's been a while since I got this excited about a book and had to immediately, had to immediately do a project. Uh, I don't normally test everyone's project out right before I do a podcast. Um, But I was like, you know, I really, if we're going to talk method here of how this is happening, I need to be a little more knowledgeable about how you're letting people do, you know, encouraging people to do this. And I, so I am just as geeked out on as about this as you are. So, so you know. uh, well, thank you, Jennifer. You know, this has been a wonderful conversation. It's been great to talk with you about this. And, you know, I'm just, I feel really honored to be able to just share, you know, what I love so much and, and to put it out there in the world. I just, I couldn't be uh, more um, lucky and, and grateful for the opportunity and and all the people that I worked with to create the book, from my agent to the Melanie, the editor, and all of her the most amazing creative people and staff, and and now the, the all the publicists and the marketing people. I mean, they've just been the whole experience has been a great collaboration. And oh, and the photographer, oh my gosh, the photographer was so great for the book, uh, Sarah Remington, and. Um, and so it's been, it's been such, you know, I just really feel blessed. And anyways, I really appreciate your, your enthusiasm and, and having an opportunity to talk with you. Well, thank you. You've and been craft very... sanity of all things. <laughs> I like craft sanity. I totally am in tune with that. <laughs> well, a special thanks to Sherry for being my guest on this episode of Craft Sanity. I really appreciate it. In this book, one of the things I like about it is that you can try to follow things exactly as they're laid out or do one of basically infinite variations and still have a very satisfying experience with this book. So it's unlike any other quilt book I've ever seen. Definitely something that beginners and more experienced quilters will like because um, there's some projects that are pretty easy and then there's definitely some that require a greater you know greater degree of skill so there's something for everybody which is fantastic so this one is for my reference shelf this is something that I'm going to want to keep on my shelf and refer back to over and over again and that is how I decide if a book is fantastic or not is it something I can refer back to over a period of years and the answer with this one is yes so High five, Sherry. Okay, folks, I'm going to be back with another kind of mini episode over the weekend. So um, I'll be able to kind of explain some of this cryptic messaging I've been doing on the last couple podcasts. Um, (laughs) And uh, I'll tell you about my quilt. Uh, My quilt is very involved in this whole thing. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. There are some interesting changes coming up for Craft Sanity, and I think that while any kind of change is nerve-wracking, I am excited about the future, and I'm excited about putting even more energy into this thing that has been a side project for so many years. And before I go, I want to take a moment to thank all my Patreon sponsors for supporting the show. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd also like to thank ACS Home and Work for their continued support. That's where you can get 
the tea towels and other home goods that I like to print on. And actually my quilt was made out of flower sack tea towel fabric. So that's a pretty cool thing. I'll explain more about that on the next podcast. In the meantime, you can use the coupon code CRAFTSANITY1 and that will give you $5 off orders of $10 or more through the end of February. Thanks to ACS for offering my listeners a deal. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So I will be back soon with another episode, as I just mentioned. And in the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. And I'll tell you exactly how it works for me on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week.